Um, You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to start by reading just a few verses from Psalm 8. You're welcome to open your Bibles if you want to, but you don't have to. Um, Some of you may have heard me say this before, but all of us, as Scripture tells us, we have hearts that are lying to us. And so as you've woken up this morning, you've been listening to lies. And so it's always good to hear from something that's 100% truth as we start our day. So opening up to God's Word, speaking truth to us. This is Psalm 8. Um, I'll begin in verse 1 and then I'll jump around uh, just a little bit. So Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth! You have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And skipping down all the way to verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me pray for us. Father, Your name is majestic. Uh, You have a power and a glory uh, that is beyond our comprehension. God, You You spoke creation into existence. You are reigning. You are ruling. So I pray that first and foremost, as we begin talking about stress, as we begin thinking about our anxieties and our worries, that we would first and foremost think about who You are. Think about Your glory. Think about Your supremacy, Your goodness, Your grace. Because Lord, so often we can allow our circumstances to take our eyes off of You off of the truth that we just read about in Psalm 8, and on to so many things in this world that create anxieties in our hearts. Father, we ask that You would be with us this week. Spirit, we ask that You would help us to focus as everyone in this room is tired. Everyone has traveled a lot. Everyone has been up late, has already been through one elective We ask that Your Word would go forth. We ask that You would give us all, not just the students, the leaders, and myself included, eyes and ears to hear and to see Your goodness, Your Gospel, Your glory through this lens of worry and anxiety. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so my name is John Parrott. I'm the Director of Resources for RYM. Um, I've been on staff with RYM about three years. Um, Prior to that, I was uh, in youth ministry at Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church in Ridgeland, Mississippi. I was on staff there for 12 years, and then before that I did some youth ministry um, at another church as well. So I've been in youth student ministry about 15 years or so. Um, came to RYM conferences uh, prior to coming on staff, and I'm honored to be a part of, of the RYM staff. Um, my wife's name is Ashley. She's here with me this week. Um, she was in the, the first elective. Uh, we just celebrated 16 years of marriage this past Friday. Um, so thank you for saying that. Um, we have five children, and as I was starting to talk about the ages of my children, I forgot, but I remember this morning, it's my daughter's birthday today, my oldest child, so um, she turned 12 today, 
We celebrated before we left. Um, she's the oldest, and then nine, seven, five, and then almost three-year-old. So that's our family. Um, they're all back home, and uh, we've kind of farmed them out to different people. Um, so they've been here the past two years with us. So who's been at RYM Colorado the past two years? It's okay. Maybe you've seen us kind of wrestling five children into a van or something like that. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Um, here's what we're going to be talking about this week. This just kind of gives you an outline. Uh, today, we're going to be answering the question, what is worry? Uh, just looking at some of the characteristics of anxiety, trying to define what this thing is that we're, we're going to be talking about this week. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be asking the question, why not worry? Uh, then we're going to talk about the fact that there's plenty to worry about. Uh, there's plenty to be anxious about. And then day three, how should we deal with our worry? How should we deal with our anxieties? Uh, Because the reality is, as we we get into this class, sometimes sometimes as we begin to talk about our worries, we can feel more worried. As we begin to shine a light on our anxieties, we can feel more anxious. Um, And so, not just kind of highlighting your anxieties, highlighting your worries, and then just sending you home, giving you some practical ways in which you can combat those anxieties. Ways you can hopefully deal with your worries and your fears uh, a little more easily. Um, So look, I want to begin with some disclaimers as well. Um, Again, this is, you know, we're kind of spread out, but I'm going to ask some questions and it would be awesome if some of you speak up. I'm never going to call on any of you, especially, you know, you're in a class for anxiety and worry and I don't want to like call you out, answer this question. Um, Thanks a lot. Uh, You helped me out a ton. Um, What's a disclaimer? Somebody tell me, what's a disclaimer? Hmm. That earlier group is more talkative. A warning. Okay, a warning. Good. Yeah. Anybody else want to define it differently? That's good. Caution. What? A heads up. Okay. Good. Kind of the dictionary definition. A statement that denies something, especially kind of responsibility. And what I mean when I'm saying disclaimers, I'm relieving myself from some responsibility of talking about a somewhat controversial subject sometimes. That this can get into some areas where even in Christian circles we might not agree on certain aspects of anxiety and worry. And so kind of starting out saying, look, I'm not an expert in talking about anxieties and worries. In some ways I can say I am because... You know, if we want to get into a competition of who's more anxious, I could probably beat most of you in this room of just feeling worried at times, feeling very anxious at times. So there's a sense in which, yes, I've experienced this. So if you want to say I'm an expert from that, then maybe so. Um, but, but as we get into, or we're not getting into, kind of bringing up this word, some of you might not even know just kind of this thinking about anxiety disorders, that some people disagree on even kind of talking about anxiety disorders. And so I'm not even opening that can of worms. That there are some people who think um, we shouldn't even use these labels. And so, you know, in a room this size, some people might disagree on some of that. Um, some of you, again, might not even be aware of any of this. Well, just it's over in like 30 more seconds, so just bear with me. Um, like physiological things, okay? Now, I know I just said that word and like half of you just fell asleep, all right? And basically, we're talking about just physical reasons for why some of you may feel anxious in this room. Because, look, here's the reality. Like, some people 
have like a heart arrhythmia, for example. That means their heart beats faster than kind of the normal rate of a heartbeat. And so, how many of you have ever felt stressed or anxious in this room? Raise your hand, okay? What typically happens when you feel stressed and anxious? Your heart begins to be faster. Your hands might get sweaty, okay? If you have a heart arrhythmia, your heart's already beating fast. So you might feel anxious because of some physical condition that you have. There's all sorts of like thyroid issues can cause anxieties and things like that. And so I'm acknowledging this, saying, you know, not getting into all of these areas, but knowing that some of this exists. And I mean, not getting into medicine. There's some people who would say, you know, we shouldn't be taking medicine for our anxieties. There's some people who say, absolutely, I'm not even opening this can. Um, because again, we're, we're all going to have different thoughts and opinions about that. Um, but again, just acknowledging this to say, I mean, one, obviously you need to be talking to your parents if you're considering medication with worries, with anxieties. You need to be consulting a medical professional about those kinds of things. I'm not a medical professional. Um, so we've got three days to talk about anxiety, a very big topic. So by doing this, I'm narrowing our focus. I'm saying, look, I cannot deal with all of these And so, narrowing our focus on what we're going to be talking about um, today. So look, trying to define what anxiety, what worry, what stress is. And just so you know, I'm going to use these words interchangeably. Sometimes I'm going to just say anxiety. Sometimes I'm just going to say worry. All just synonymous. If you hear me say that, I'm just talking about all of them. But but what are some ways we can describe these? What are are some characteristics we can attribute uh, to our anxieties? Um, maybe one way we could define it, uh, there can be a lot of right definitions. This is one way we might could think about it. That worry or anxiety is a desire to control people and circumstances that are out of our control. Worry and anxiety is a desire to control people and circumstances that are out of our control. That is, when you start feeling stressed in your life, oftentimes you're wanting to control that situation. If there are a group of people that can make you anxious, you want to control them. So there's a sense in which, as we're talking about worry and anxiety, it's a control issue, right? Um, When you think of obsessive-compulsive disorder, which can kind of fall under some of this, oftentimes it's kind of a control thing associated with that. Um, Putting it in some strong words, look, it's a desire to be God. But if we truly believe that first point, that it's kind of trying to control things, who's ultimately in control? God. And so we're trying to take this control from Him in a sense. We're trying to play God when these anxious situations are coming up. Um, and then, I mean, again, as Tim Lane says, I almost forgot, this is a book that's out there called Living Without Worry by Tim Lane. Uh, it's right there on the book table. It's a helpful book and it helped a lot of uh, what I'm going to be talking about this week. But he says, it is to be over-concerned or obsessed about something other than the kingdom of God. Now the reason he says that is because of Matthew 6, which I'll mention in just a minute, but we'll talk more about tomorrow. Jesus Christ, when He's talking about anxiety, He ends His talk saying, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So in the midst of a discussion on anxiety, this is where Jesus Christ goes. And that's why Tim Lane brings this up. And so look, 
at the root of worry, we're saying this, God, you do not exist. You are not in control. That's some very strong language, right? That seems very harsh, very offensive, and we may even want to push back and say, well, you know, I'm a worrier, but I mean, I don't necessarily believe that. But what we have to see, and I mean, this is something many have said, is that we often are just practical atheists, right? That we believe, if we're we're Christian, some of us may say we believe the Bible, but the way that we live doesn't reflect what we believe. That is, some of you in this room, which it's going to be a miracle if I don't trip over this before the end of the week, by the way. Um, Some of you may have grown up in the church in this room. Some of you in this room might have not grown up in the church. But if you've grown up in the church, you've heard the word sovereignty. And so many of you would affirm, yeah, God's sovereign. But what that means is God's in complete control. But but oftentimes we don't want to admit that by the way that we live, or we live in a way that contradicts that. And again, our worry and our anxiety is contradicting that reality. And the reality that we have to believe is that we're really not in control of that much. That if you really kind of sat down and started to write out what you're in control of, we could almost say nothing. Right? Because we're not guaranteed the next hour. So even though we might have plans, whatever, you know, after lunch, we're not guaranteed that. So we may think we're in control of that, but we're really not. And so again, kind of getting down to the foundation of our worries and anxieties, this is some of what uh, it says. And and again, a helpful uh, thing that Tim Lane brings up, he says that worry comes from an old English word meaning strangle. And that anxiety comes from a word referring to your throat narrowing and tightening. And so maybe some of you in this room have had a panic attack. And you know exactly what that's talking about. You've had those times where you feel like you cannot breathe, where you feel like your throat is closing up, and you're feeling tightness in your chest. And so maybe that's some of you. Um, how many of you know who John Piper is? Have you ever heard his name, John Piper? Show of hands. Um, spoken all over the world. He's written, I don't know, 100 books. Um, when he was in middle school and high school, he could not get up and make a speech in class. He said he would go to his teachers and say, hey, do I have to, like the first day of class, hey, do I have to get up and give a speech in this class? And they'd say, yeah. And he's like, well, I can't do that. So what's the best grade I can get by not giving a speech? And they'd say, like, a C? He's like, okay, that's fine. And his own words, he says that if he stood up and tried to speak, his throat would close up and he could not form a word or a sentence. That he would just get so anxious. And maybe that's some of you. I mean, if I called on some of you to stand up and say something, you would be terrified. Um, that you would have that tightness in your chest. That you, your heart would begin to beat. Well, that, that's some encouragement sharing that story of how the Lord can grow you from that. I mean, John Piper, again, speaks all over the world and used to think he could not do that. Looking at Matthew 6, just briefly... There's a sense in which worry refers to the future. Jesus Christ says, do not worry about tomorrow. That as we begin to think about our our worries, sometimes you're thinking about something that could possibly happen to you tomorrow or the next week. And I think it said, well, she says, and oftentimes that thing doesn't even happen. But you've 
tortured yourself thinking about what could happen to you in the future and then it doesn't even happen. And so there's a sense in which worry and anxiety is dealing with the future, but we need to also realize worry deals with the past too. Raise your hand if you've ever done something stupid <coughs> stupid, or said something stupid. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay? And then, have any of you ever thought back on that stupid thing a week later, a year later, five years later, and thought, I was such an idiot. I can't believe I did that. Okay? And that creates anxiety. And you just relive that moment over and over again. So our worry can also be in the past, right? And it obviously can be in the present and can be in the future. So it's not just a future thing, even though Jesus Christ acknowledges that our worry is often thinking about tomorrow. Jesus Christ, He also commands us, do not worry. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, Paul, be anxious for nothing. Um, And so... I almost hate to bring this up because you know some of us are thinking, great John, I already was worrying and now I'm worrying about my worry. Um, that I'm more anxious about my anxieties because Jesus Christ says, do not worry. It's in the form of a command. Um, but what's encouraging at the same time is that Jesus doesn't downplay the reality of worrying. That Jesus is not some spiritual stoner who's just walking around like, relax. What are you all so stressed out about? Why are you worried? Now, in that passage, Jesus acknowledges, look, there is so much to be worried about. There's so much to be concerned about. That Again, that's encouraging that Jesus talks in this way. That He's not just dismissing your worries. He's not dismissing your anxieties. And so again, we'll unpack that a little bit more tomorrow. Um, but something I want to say here, and again, I'll talk about it more tomorrow. I know you are getting tired of me. Hear me say that. Concern is different from worry. Okay, there's a distinction. Concern is different from worry. Alright, show of hands again. How many of you love anybody in your life? Including yourself. Alright, every hand's going up, right? Um, that means you're going to be tempted to be worried. Alright? Example, I have five children as I told you. They're not with me on this trip. And we left them home alone. I'm just kidding. We farmed them out to other people. But as I'm here, I'm thinking, what if something happens to one of my children while I'm here? I can't help but have that thought because I love my children. I would fight any of you if you tried to harm my children um, because I love them. So look, if you love somebody, you are going to be tempted to be anxious. But there's a difference between concern for your loved ones and anxiety. And so if I was here this entire week just thinking about my children the whole time and the possible dangers that could happen, that would be worry. That would be anxiety. But there's a difference there. Um, So just hitting on that briefly, but getting into it more tomorrow. So look, when did anxiety begin? Where did worry begin? Obviously taking us back to Genesis where all things began. And just so you know, I did not talk to Richie at all about this talk. But it was crazy last night when he started to read from the passages. I was thinking, okay, that's some of the exact same passages that I'm talking about. Um, But I'm going to go in a different direction than he did. So 
Um, I was relieved when he did that. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to go home tonight, last night, and I re- rewrite everything. Um, I was worried. I was tempted. I was starting to get anxious about this. Um, so look, if you have your Bibles, I know many of you can see this, some of you cannot. Genesis 1, 1, and then I'm skipping to 2, 7, and then we'll get in Genesis 3 uh, with just the remainder of our time. But asking where this, where did worry begin? Okay, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now skipping all the way over to chapter 2, beginning verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Alright, so what I want us to do just briefly is to think about what was present in the garden besides Adam and Eve. I want you guys to help me. I want you guys to give me some answers of what was in the garden besides Adam and Eve. And there's a sense in which this is kind of tricky because I'm getting you to think about perfection. And none of your eyes have ever seen perfection. You've read about it if you've read Genesis 1 and 2. Other places in Scripture that talk about future glory, we have some idea of you know, what's going to be in heaven, what's not going to be in heaven. But asking you that question, because again, these are very familiar. Many of you know these passages. But what was in the garden besides Adam and Eve? Y'all tell me some things. Trees. Fruit. Animals. What's that? Okay, we're not going to open that can of arms. Yes, that's good. Some people are going to disagree. Awesome. Great. Nobody attack that. Let's keep going. Good answer. Other answers. God. Good. What else? What's that? Good. No evil present. Anything else? Grass, okay? Like this is where my mind goes when I start to think about, okay, think about the entire animal kingdom present, right? Um, all dwelling there, not killing each other. I mean, to, to think about... I mean, this sounds terrible. I mean, if you put a lamb before a lion, like now, just like walked into the zoo and just threw a lamb in the lion's den, it's not going to be pretty, right? Like to think about Genesis 1 and 2, just a lamb walking in front of a lion and not being devoured. The animal kingdom just fully present around each other, not devouring each other. Just getting along. Peaceful, right? Uh, we, we think about you know, vegetation. Again, this is where my mind goes. How many of you have seen Avengers Endgame? Okay, so Thanos at the very beginning when he's in the garden and he's picking that fruit. That's not a great picture. Um, but this weird looking fruit, right? Thinking, okay, wh- wh- what sort of vegetation was around prior to sin coming in to creation? Is there fruit that doesn't exist anymore? Right, some people okay talk about Adam and Eve eating an apple. Some people think it's okay, it's a fruit that we've never heard of before. So thinking about just the different sorts of vegetation that could have been present. All right, but then we know Adam and Eve sinned, and oftentimes we can talk about the fall, we can talk about sin entering creation, but we don't think about just the absolute devastating effects of sin coming into creation. Um, that you know, what, what movie is this? You'll tell me, The Lion King, which the live-action Lion King is what, coming out in like two weeks or so? Um, And so we've got this scene, the circle of life, you know, they're they're singing about the circle of life. 
What is the circle of life? Animals eating each other. Exactly. Right? And so I'm not trying to ruin as you go and watch the new Lion King and they start singing Circle of Life and you're like, that's not accurate. They all should be devouring each other. I mean, that's the circle of life, right? Animals devour other animals so they can continue to live and then other animals die and they you know, feed the, the vegetation, the soil, all of that by decaying. I mean, that's the circle of life. Okay, so all the peace that we had with the animal kingdom is now gone. Certain animals cannot be in the presence of other animals anymore or they will kill each other. They're now, which it's interesting to think, okay, like Genesis 1, okay, was a lion referred to as a predator back then, right? Like, was there even a term like that? No, you know, I mean, we would think not, and we're, again, not going to go too far down that. But to think even about, you know, plant life, thorns came about. Thorns were not in existence. I mean, they're specifically spoken of in Genesis 3. And as I heard a pastor just pointing us to the significance of the crown of thorns Jesus Christ wore from this. And just as I was looking out of my cabin this morning, looking at the beauty of creation, and saw a bunch of trees that were laying down, you know, did trees fall down in Genesis 1 and 2? Yeah, they didn't decay. But if we also start to think, okay, well... Mankind was commanded in Genesis 1 to advance as a species. That meant they would start to build houses, right? Okay, so maybe they would cut trees down and use lumber to build houses. But it's interesting to think about just the devastating effects of sin. has completely changed absolutely everything. And it's hard for our minds to actually think about all of that. And to think, again, as we're talking about anxiety, as we're talking about stress, as we're talking about worry... We know, I mean, this was the moment where Adam and Eve's relationship was forever changed. Right? They were separated from God. They began to blame each other. And so this is where our stress comes from. This is where our anxiety began. And so we can think about, okay, this event that happened thousands of years ago is why some of you hate to walk into your school building. This event that happened forever ago is why... Some of you are anxious about starting school this fall. Maybe you're moving to a different school. Maybe you're moving somewhere else. The emotions you feel each and every day are because of this moment. The fear that you walk around with all the time. And so zooming in on this event just briefly before we wrap this up, again, very familiar sections of Scripture but what I want to do, I want to ask you a question uh, to set this up. Okay, so look, if we think back on Genesis 1 and 2, if you were to hand a Bible to an atheist and just said, hey, read Genesis 1 and 2, and they read it and they came back to you and said, okay, who's the main character in Genesis 1 and 2? What answer would they give? Easy Sunday school answer. God. Okay? They read Genesis 1 and 2, they'd say, yeah, I don't believe any of this, but it's clear God's the main character. I mean, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. And He creates absolutely everything. He creates mankind. He's clearly the main character. But then, you get to Genesis 3, and God disappears. Alright? You get to Genesis 3, and all of a sudden we read about the serpent. And so you'd say, okay, where did the main character go? And so that's my question for you is where was God? Because 
Verse 8 says He walks up. Where did He walk from? Where was God? I want want to ask that question. I want to leave that hanging out there and then come back to that. But Genesis 8... Verses three. I'm sorry. Genesis three, verses eight through thirteen. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" And he said, "I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself." He said, "Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat?" The man said, "The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate." Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now look, there are two truths that I want to tell you from this passage that are true of every single person in this room and every single human on the face of the planet. Right? Before I give you those two truths, let me share this story with you. Um, when I was, I think, a junior or senior in high school, one of my friends that was a couple of years older than me was a manager of a movie theater. And... On Thursdays, they would screen all of the movies that were coming out on Friday. Because, you know, they had film that they had to assemble, and so they wanted to make sure it was put together right, and so they had to screen it to make sure it wasn't going to mess up when people showed up on Friday. So he would invite us to come up Thursdays, you know, midnight, which I know is technically Friday. We won't get into that. Um, And we would watch the movies. I know this sounds gross, but it's not. Just listen. He would bring a garbage can filled with popcorn for us, okay? Now, the sole purpose of this garbage can was to put leftover popcorn in. It wasn't like he dumped out all the garbage and then like filled it with popcorn that we ate out of. It was just to hold all the popcorn that was left over. So we would just be in there with several of our friends in a movie theater with a huge garbage can filled with popcorn, just hang out and watch movies. And then after that movie was over, usually 2 in the morning, whatever, when it was over with, we would play sardines in the movie theater. How many of you have played sardines? Okay. Um, so if you haven't, it's basically like reverse hide-and-seek. One person goes and hides, and then everyone tries to go find that person. And, you know, just think about it. You're in a movie theater, and you go and hide all by yourself. And you're there for a while, and people are trying to find you. And then it's also kind of weird as well as you're trying to find everybody, and then you look up and you realize you're the only person left that everybody else found the person that was hiding and they're now hiding with them and you're the only person walking around in movie theater at like 2 in the morning. So it's a creepy feeling. And you know, sometimes I, th- I think as you know, many of you have played sardines, played hide and seek, there, there's an element of fear that's involved with that game that makes it somewhat fun. But, you know, as we were children, if you went and hide, hid and you could hear the footsteps of somebody walking up, you were thinking, okay, I hope they don't find me. I hope this place is good enough where they're not going to be able to see me. There was this kind of mild fear associated with that that made it fun. Look, some people might say, like, this was the first game of hide-and-seek in the history of the world, Genesis 3. Adam and Eve hid from this omnipotent, omniscient God, which is absurd. We know it, right? But the reality is, you do this every day of your life. And that's the truth, two truths that I want us to see. The first is this, you're all afraid. Every one of you are afraid in this room. Every human on the face of the earth is afraid. Young, poor, I mean young, old, rich, poor, all across the globe is afraid. Alright? 
Genesis 3, verse 10, Adam said, I was afraid. Okay, sin causes fear. And since his sin has spread to us, we are now fearful. Now let me say this quickly. I do think fear existed before the fall because we feared the Lord. Mankind feared the Lord perfectly. Sin has now poisoned our fear. And so it's redirected to everything else. I think Ed Welch is one who says that. But, but this fear has now come into our hearts. And so some of you have relational fears. Some of you may be afraid of people on this trip with you. Some of you may be afraid of people back home at your school. Some of you may be afraid of a coach or a teacher. Some of you sadly may come from broken homes, and so you're afraid of your family. You have fears associated with all sorts of relational things. We've already talked about the future, all of these things that could happen. I mean, think of all the the phobias. How many of you are afraid of spiders in this room? Anybody? Alright, how many of you are afraid of heights in this room? Some of those fears might get tested this week if you go on a hike, right? Some of you are afraid of tight spaces, claustrophobia. How many of you are afraid of that? The thought of being buried alive, I mean, that should terrify everybody, but if you're claustrophobic, yeah, I just woke some of you up. I see that. That was intentional. Like your palms might have gotten sweaty just in thinking about that. Can anyone in this room, somebody did it in the first class, can anyone tell me what a fear of clowns is? No, I'm sorry, like the technical term for a fear of clowns. Somebody has said that too. That's not correct. That's a good guess. Anybody know it? Which I do have to say it was hilarious. I asked the question and somebody in the first class said, normal. Like, I mean, who thought it was a good idea to like have a clown to entertain children? That is the dumbest idea. Like, I don't know where that originated. Okay, a fear of clowns is cholerophobia. Cholerophobia. So look, maybe that's terrifying to some of you. Cholerophobia. Okay, he says free hugs if you can't see that. And I can get rid of him just so you don't have to deal with that. So look, what I want you to see is we're talking about you're all afraid. Think of fear as this large umbrella, okay? Worry and anxiety fits under this umbrella of fear, right? Um, so if we say you're all afraid, there's a sense you're all worried. You're all anxious. There's something you're anxious about. There's something you're worried about. And then the second thing, as I said, you're all hiding. Genesis 3.8, Genesis 3.10, twice we're told Adam hid. His sin has spread to us, so we have the temptation to hide. And so right now, as you're listening to me, you're all hiding. Okay, you're hiding behind something. Just a very commonplace many of you hide. Look, if you walk into a crowded room and you don't know anybody, most of you are going to pull out a smartphone. Right? That's where you can hide. It's your comfort. It's your security blanket. You can text a friend, hey, text me right now so I can look like I'm texting and don't have to look at all these people looking at me right now. It's a place that we can hide. We can hide by watching YouTube videos, right? Start watching YouTube videos and they're like, wow, it's been two days. What happened? Got in this YouTube black hole. Which, not against smartphones, not against YouTube. Uh, obviously, we can binge watch all sorts of streaming devices, Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever. We can hide in that way. 
We can hide behind those things. You can hide behind your personality. Maybe you're known as the funny person. So you're hiding behind that. Because as I, as I quote a um, comedian a lot, he said, when someone meets you, they don't meet you, they meet your representative. When someone meets you, they don't actually meet you. They meet your representative. That is, they meet the person you want them to think you are. And so, it could be a personality that you want everybody to think you're this person, and so you're giving off this persona. But you can hide behind that. You can hide behind your athleticism. You can hide behind your looks. You can hide behind your academics. Whatever it is, there are so many ways in which we can hide. So what does all of this have to do with worry? Okay, so follow me on this. As I've said, look, first, you're all afraid. And I want to say this clearly. There is plenty to be afraid of. Like, you have valid reasons to be afraid. So this is not mocking you. I'm not sitting up here just mocking you, saying you're afraid of something. There's plenty to be afraid of that could happen to you in this world. So saying that's valid. And then second, look. So say you all hide... It is valid to want to hide. This world, as beautiful as it is, is messed up. And so, example, if you're at school and you are bullied and mocked by people constantly, and you know, okay, if I walk down this hall at school, these people are going to be there and they are going to make fun of me. Then it's completely normal for you to quote-unquote hide and walk down this hallway to avoid those jerks and all the things that they say about you. So hiding can be a normal thing. And again, valid reasons to want to hide. But here's two more things to think about. There's only one place to truly hide. There's only one place that you can hide. Not one of five or one of many choices that you can pick to hide. There's only one. And here's the other truth that goes along with that. If you hide anywhere else, it will only create more anxiety, more worry, more stress. Alright? So look, there can be ways in which... The examples I just gave are ways in which you can hide. Look, if you had a horrible day at school... And again, mocked, made fun of. It can be completely fine for you to just go home and say, I'm just going to watch something funny on Netflix and just laugh and just, quote-unquote, escape this world, hide from this world, and get into another world in a movie or television show and just laugh. Or to open up a novel and say, I'm getting out of this world because this world stinks and I'm getting into Hogwarts or Middle Earth or whatever it is for you and hiding there. Look, that can be a grace from God. God can give us those things to hide in and to enjoy, but there's only one ultimate place to hide. And so if we start going to these other places and hiding, you are putting a band-aid over your problem. And it's just going to create more anxiety in your life. And it's going to create more worry. It's going to multiply your problems. And so look, getting back to our question as we close this up, where was God? I want to answer this question first and foremost because it gives us a glimpse into the character of God. We need to remember the Bible first and foremost is not about us, it's about God. 
And so answering this question first shows us who God is, but then secondly can help us deal with our anxieties. So answering this question, where was God? So again, thinking back to Genesis 3, verse 8 through 13, verses 8 through 13, Adam and Eve just sinned. They did the one thing God said not to do. They did that exact thing. And so, they've become poisoned with sin. They've become enemies of God. Alright? And what we know about God is this. God is pure. God is righteous. God is holy. God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. So please listen to this carefully. Adam and Eve did not hide from God. God hid from Adam and Eve. God in His grace hid from Adam and Eve not to be a jerk, not to be unloving. He knew He would destroy them if they were in His presence. Because He's so pure, because He's so righteous, and because sin cannot dwell in His presence, He would have killed them. So He shielded them from His infinite, eternal glory because He's loving not because He's harsh. But then what else did God do right after that? What did Adam and Eve try to do to hide their nakedness? What did they do? Come on, people. Fig leaves, right? I think I heard that. I don't know how much you know about fig leaves, but they're not all that great from shielding you from eternal, infinite glory. They stink at that. But what God did was He gave them better coverings, right? He killed an animal. And so many say this is the first bloodshed in all of human history. And He clothed them in animal skins. So there are two problems that I just highlighted there God dealt with. God dealt with their fear. God gave them a place to hide. And many of you already know this. That points us to Jesus Christ. Right? God is saying, I will shed blood and I will give you a place to hide and I will deal with your fears. And it can sound very strange to say you are to hide in Jesus Christ. That can sound very bizarre, and that's something we're going to unpack more tomorrow and uh, the next day, just thinking through what exactly does that mean. But look, as we close this up and as you leave today, I want you to ask yourself these two questions. Just reflect on these. I mean, spend 30 seconds or one minute to just bullet point, okay, what are you afraid of? And secondly, where are you hiding? Just taking some time to answer these two questions, this can reveal a lot about your anxiety. This can reveal a lot about just the ways in which you get stressed out in life. And so just reflecting on these two questions, and again, what we'll deal with this more is we talk about Matthew 6 tomorrow and then have some practical ways in which we can deal with our anxieties um, on Friday. So let me pray for us. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You for being exactly that, a loving Father. As we uh, can look at Genesis 1, look at Genesis 2, look at Genesis 3, and it can just be old news to us, I pray that You would help us to see how Your grace is communicated there. That even though Adam and Eve, as Your children, spit in Your face, You protected them and You provided for them. And all of us in this room, as we talked about our anxieties, our our worries says, God, You do not exist. 
You still, in Your grace, pursue us. You come after us. You give us a place to hide. You give us a way in which we can deal with our fear. So Father, I pray for every student in this room, every leader in this room, myself included. You know all of their names. You know what they're dealing with in their hearts and their minds right now. You know what's going on back home in each of their lives. I pray that You would please help them to see the light of Your Word shined on some of these areas in their life and that they would be able to bring this to the foot of the cross and to deal with this and by Your grace and Your mercy and the power of Your Spirit, that You would allow all of us to grow in ways to deal with our anxiety in a way that's more honoring to You. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.